Um, I've got a mostly serious question to ask you to start off with, but there's a, there's a tiny bit of maybe sarcasm or facetiousness, okay? How many of you, by show of hands, came this morning to be offended? Yeah? I'm not really surprised by the lack of hands jolting straight up in the air. Um, today, I'm going to offend you, all right? So you're on notice, the, 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 like the trigger notice. It's already tingling. Today, you are going to be offended, all right? Now, I'm not personally going to try to offend you. However, Scripture is going to do that for us, and we're going to have a great example of offense and offense taken in our verses for today. And we live in a time where everything, it seems anyway, is offensive to us to one degree or another, right? You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't eat this. I'm offended if you do that. I'm offended if you do that, right? Opposite. There's these polar opposites that are constantly pulling at us. Um, I've heard this phrase before, and I don't think it, it sits well with us initially when we hear it or when we see it written, and yet when we examine it and we think about it, we find that it's true. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. How's that sit? Like, I think we think about the gospel, right, as the sunshine and rainbows, and I, I use the phrase Skittles, right, the, the, the rainbow, right? We, we think of it that way because we think about the, the hope that it brings and generates and, and all of uh, the, the greatness through the gospel message, and yet the gospel message in its very essence is an offensive thing. Why? You're not good enough. You can't do it on your own. Something else needs to be there to help bridge that gap, right? How many of us like to hear, you're not good enough? You don't measure up. Not many of us, if any of us. And we might like a little bit of the conviction that comes with, hey, Sandra, you've really got to step up. But then... We walk away, and aren't we usually defensive and offended, right? We see a great, great example in Luke here as, as we really turn the page and we hit a, a transition point in this gospel where we get to see front and center Jesus Christ in his ministry working uh, where he's from and all throughout the area. And, and it's, a, it's a really great passage that we're walking into this morning. I wanted to give you just a little bit of a, a roadmap. We're going to talk a little bit about the passage context here in a moment. Uh, and if we still did printed bulletins, this would be a, a direct fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. So the task of Jesus, the claim of Jesus, the offense of Jesus and the providence of Jesus. And so those are uh, the topics that we'll cover today. 
It's a little bit bigger chunk of uh, a, a bigger passage than I would typically do. So we're going to move a little bit fast, and yet it all goes together, and, and, and we'll see uh, how and why here in a moment. Uh, for now, if you are able, would you stand with me uh, as we read our passage for today? Uh, we are in Luke 4 verses 16 through 30. Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. And he came to Nazareth, uh, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Verse 14, I told you wrong. Verses 14 and 15. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he was teaching in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and marveling at the gracious words which were coming forth from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard took place at Capernaum, do also here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, where there were many widows in Israel in the, the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath and the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they stood up and drove him out of the city and led him to the edge of a hill which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, your word that does uh, so many things, uh, convict and challenge are, are just two of those things. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for not letting us be complacent as we pursue you through your word. Lord, I ask for that conviction this morning as we study this passage together, that we uh, come to a fuller and greater knowledge of you and your Son and your Holy Spirit as you work through uh, this passage with us this morning, Lord, I pray for open ears and hearts uh, as we study. Lord, I think of a few in our congregation that continue to struggle with 
uh, medical issues. Lord, we pray for doctor's appointments and diagnoses and, and treatment plans as they pursue uh, better health. And, and if it be your will, Lord, uh, a full and complete recovery. God, be with us now as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, a little bit of passage context, and um, you hear me say this often, whether it's in, from this platform or in other uh, forms of study, that, that when we come to a passage of Scripture, we should always be asking ourselves questions, right? Especially as we're moving along through a story, or um, maybe if we're in a Bible reading plan that skips around a little bit, and, and we uh, read a transitional phrase like therefore or and or something like that, we should acclimate ourselves to what's going on. That increases our understanding of the passage that we're about to study by understanding what came before it and oftentimes uh, what comes after. So in this case, you know, where are we and, and how did we get here? Where are we and how did we get here? So this is how it it starts, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding area. So he's obviously uh, been doing some things. What, what has he been doing? Why is he coming back to Galilee? What's about to happen, right? What's, what's going on here? And there's a, a few things that I want to point out just briefly. Uh, first, we get uh, what I've labeled as his messianic credentials. Um, if I had to sum up really what's happened so far in, in, in chapters one through the first half of chapter four, what it's been doing is establishing Jesus's credentials. Credentials for what? Credentials that he is the Messiah. Credentials that he's the one that's been prophesied about over and over and over through Old Testament scriptures. Credentials that he is the anointed king to come through the line of David. All of these things that we've been reading and studying these last months to get to this point. Uh, secondly, what we see is that this is, at least from Luke's account, uh, this is the start of his public ministry. I'm going to say more about that here in just a moment. But this is the start of his public ministry, right? We, we've seen interactions with angels and miraculous births and, and, and um, announcements of things to come. We've seen John the Baptist baptizing people, calling people to repentance. We've seen Jesus's baptism. Uh, and then the last two weeks, we, we've studied the temptation of Jesus. And, and all of this stuff is leading up and, and building his credentials, kicking off his public ministry. Time frame and an area of operation. Now, when we read here, and he came to Nazareth, or he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and then in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Uh, for us, if, if all we look at is Luke, or if we look at Matthew or Mark, it's almost as if we've turned the page from one day uh, to the next. And I can't do this this morning because of time constraints, but I'd encourage you to read the first four chapters of John. It gives us a better idea of the time frame. 
Uh, what we don't realize here from what we're reading in just Luke is that about a year has been transpired that, that, that Luke is, for, for all intents and purposes, uh, skipping over. And so uh, I will get there in a moment, but you, you heard uh, that phrase that was referenced about do the things that you're doing in Capernaum. That is a reference to part of what was going on in the first year of Jesus's public ministry. And so we just, it's something for us to know. Jesus had about a three-year public ministry starting at about 30. And so where we pick up in Luke here is already about a year into that. Uh, a couple uh, maps for geography that have been helpful for people. Well, where, are we, where are we talking about here? Where, where's this happening? A slightly blown out picture. Uh, got a couple of little ovals drawn. Uh, the lower one, you'll recall from these past weeks, that is the primary area that we were uh, that everything was taking place in that we've studied uh, to this point in Luke's gospel. So you see some familiar names there, Bethlehem there towards the lower left of that, of that oval, Jerusalem closer to the center, uh, and then over to the right, uh, you see Bethany, and then that, the, the river that's flowing there, that's uh, been a main character in, in our study for, again, these last months. And so now the story is shifting north there. And you'll see Nazareth and some other names that you might recognize. The Sea of Galilee is that other body of water. Slightly blown up view. Uh, in the center there, you see Nazareth in red. And so this is uh, the land of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And this is the area that Jesus is going to be working in for basically from this point on until I believe some point in Luke 9. And so this is sort of the area of operation that Jesus is working in. Mind you, as I just said, he's already been working in this region for the last year. And so there is a strong familiarity with Jesus in the region. The first point for today, the first thing that we come across is the task of Jesus, the task of Jesus. And it comes from those first two verses, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district, those, those slides that we just looked at. And he was teaching in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so this is the task of Jesus. This is what he was sent to do. Uh, in a sense, it's, a, it's another phrasing uh, of sorts that, that, that would be our uh, series title, To Seek and to Save. Uh, you've heard before that that's coming from Luke 19.10, To Seek and to Save the, the Lost. But Jesus' task, as is given to us here, to, to teach to teach in their synagogue, to synagogues, to proclaim the good news, the gospel message. And, and uh, what that is, is uh, to teach the word of God is to obviously read the word. But for those of you that were with us in our Nehemiah series, uh, you'll recall this phrase, uh, to give a sense of. 
And that comes from Nehemiah 8, 7. Uh, the people, it says that the people remained in their place as the person stood up on a, a wooden platform and podium, read the word of God. And then after they read from the word of God, they gave a sense of what that scripture meant so the people could have better understanding. And so that's what's happening in this scene here, though slightly differently than we see in Nehemiah, but, but it's a similar kind of thing. Now, Perhaps this only intrigues me a little bit because this is what I do for a living. But what does that actually mean? Like what would have first century church looked like uh, in, in a synagogue setting? A uh, few things. Uh, thanksgivings uh, or blessings would have been spoken uh, as part of this service. Uh, thanksgiving or blessing and part of that would have included, at one point in time, uh, the, the stating, uh, and everyone would have done it, of the Shema. And, and that's something that, that some of us are familiar with. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Obviously not in English, but that's the Shema. And so that would have been part of us reading and saying that together. Uh, there would have been a time of prayer, so that's familiar to us. Much of our liturgy here at this church, and I know it varies from church to church, we try to pull at least as directly from Scripture as we can. Obviously, there wasn't lights and sound and all of that kind of stuff, but uh, there was amphitheaters of sorts, and it wasn't so different back in the day, but there would have been prayer uh, with the response of uh, amen. A reading of the passage of the Pentateuch, that's the first five books. If you opened your Bible uh, of your Old Testament, it would have been read in Hebrew and then again read in Aramaic. There would have been a passage read from the prophets. Uh, in our case today, that's Isaiah, but it could have been Jeremiah or any of the other, uh, what we have labeled as the minor prophets uh, Joel, since I'm looking at you, that's the first one that came to mind. Joel would be considered, not this Joel, uh, <laughs> Joel would be a minor prophet. Um, then there would be a, a sermon or a word of exhortation, all right? So that's the giving the sense of the word, giving the sense of the passage. And then at the end, there would be a, a benediction, uh, again, with all of us saying amen. For those of you that are regulars, you know what our benediction is, I hope. Remember? Close. We're close. Love God, love others, be the church, right? Funny story on that. I'm sorry, rabbit trail. Uh, when I first started working at the church that I was at before this one, um, they had done membership classes for a long, long time, and then they stopped for a number of years. And Rick, the senior pastor, decided, you know, there's, there's been a lot of uh, turnover, new families, all of that. Maybe we should restart the uh, membership classes. And part of the way that he did that is he gather in a room like if we were all in the community room, and the first thing that he started with is is can anybody tell me what the four purposes of uh, the chapel are? That's the church that I came from. 
And it was like blank stares, crickets, right? And the very same way that we do it here, love God, love others, be the church, at the end of, of every message, there was a statement of the four purposes of the chapel, of believe, grow, serve, and then it's changed the world, but as he sent people out, he said, change your world, right? So what are the four purposes of the church? Blank stares. And I'm looking around the room, and it's like, you know, and much like some of you, people that have been around for years, you know, decades longer than I had been, blank Believe. Oh, yeah, 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 right? So he goes on to the next one. Same thing with grow. Same thing with serve. And the last thing that everyone heard before they left the church that particular Sunday, he said, what's the fourth? And before he even got the question out of his mouth, go change your world, right? Because that's the thing that we hear regularly. It's a type of benediction. So for those of you that would come from more of a, you know, a high church background, it would be a formal benediction where somebody might be reading something or something like that. Uh, but there's all different forms of liturgy, the service order. And so for us, it's uh, not, I started to say the chapels. Uh, you know, for them, it was believe, grow, serve, change your world change the world, and for us, it's love God, love others, be the church. It's a type of benediction. Uh, before I move on to that one, I did want to say one point uh, of application here, and uh, this is not uh, just sort of inserted for the sake of inserting it, because it's going to come up again, and it, and it comes up in our passage, but I wanted to sort of plant the seed now. Um, you know, we just talked about uh, what Jesus' task was, and it was to, to bring the word, right? And, and to unpack that, give a sense of it. And, and I think, especially so in our modern context, um, Aren't we often enamored with what I would call the, the shiny things of faith, right? Another way of saying that might be um, emotionalism, uh, trying to pull people in in that way. It's a, it's a form of, can be, a form of manipulation. We are so busy, we have such short attention spans uh, that everything that we do, we're, we're, it's like this dopamine drip, right? And we're looking for it, and we're looking for it, and we're looking for it. Social media, news, uh, I, was, I don't typically listen to the radio, like the, the regular radio, but I had it on the other day, and like the, the news update, Thing came on, and I mean, literally, it was like a three and a half second excerpt of somebody saying something with no context because they have to squeeze it in this tiny little window, uh, partially because of advertising dollars, but also greatly because our attention spans are so small, right? And so, church in many ways has become the same thing where we're constantly trying to grab attention and to get people 
to focus and shorten your message or have more lights or fog or this or whatever. We're constantly trying to hit that drip. And what we don't see, at least in this passage, but we see uh, the people in this context, Jesus calls these people out. Uh, Paul later in Corinthians talks about, you keep seeking for signs and wonders, but let the word of the Lord sit on you, set on you, dwell on the word of the Lord. And I think that's an application point for us where um, we can constantly be seeking this high in everything that we do, including church. If we're constantly chasing that, if you haven't realized this yet, you are gonna constantly be underwhelmed. Whether it's this church or another church, if that's what you're chasing, you're gonna be underwhelmed and underwhelmed and underwhelmed because we grow immune to it, numb to it. And whatever it took to get here last week, now it takes this to get there and this to get there and this to get there. Instead of just dwelling on the word of the Lord and expecting, expecting the Holy Spirit to work through that. Now, can miraculous and awesome things happen through that? Yes. Is that uh, what we should be seeking constantly in this context or, or maybe in our own personal Bible study or whatever? No, you're going to be disappointed. And I want to plant that seed for later because we're going to come back to this. The next thing that we see in this passage is the claim of Jesus, the claim of Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom, and he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet, prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the scroll and he found a place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is his claim. Today this scripture has been fulfilled. So remember in the passage context, what I said to you was that part of what we've studied so far, or all of what we've studied so far to one degree or another, was establishing Jesus's credentials as the Messiah, okay? That's what's, that's what's taken place so far. And so the credentials are there, right? We all know somebody that's got a bunch of acronyms after their names, right? Those are the credentials. That says, hey, I can say a thing about a thing because I got all this stuff behind my name, meaning I've put in a lot of time and energy and years of study into this. That's what's happening. But now there's this shift from the, the, the credentials being established to Jesus actually stepping into it and making a claim on those credentials, He's saying, because of, I am. I am this, right? 
Now, this is the part that I warned you earlier that I was going to have to move uh, kind of fast, and you are welcome to turn to Isaiah. I have a few extra chapters labeled there because it, it really helps with our understanding, but I'm going to flip to uh, chapter 59. I'm going to talk about the other ones very, very briefly, but you'll notice, and I've said this before, in, in our uh, version, our translation of the Bible that we use, when we see a fully capitalized words like we see there, all oh, that is a direct quotation of something uh, in, in the Old Testament. And so anytime we see that, if you're using this translation, we should say, oh, where does that come from? Now, some of you are going to have Bibles with cross-references, and it's going to point you there directly. But this past, this quotation here, what Jesus is saying that he is fulfilling, it comes from Isaiah 61. And we typically will read Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 together. Uh, but like I said at the outset, we need to know what's happening before 60, 61, and 62 to really have our best understanding of what Jesus is really trying to get across to his hearers in this. And so um, what's happening in Isaiah 59 that's building into that section is, is establishing himself uh, the, the, the stated Messiah as the person that's being referenced here. Uh, now, he doesn't go to this point right now to give proof, but he's, again, making a claim, making an assertion. And we see that a number of times uh, through the rest of um, this gospel and others as well. Um, it was no mistake that this is what Jesus picked. All right, these reading assignments, um, Matt Baker is, is teaching next week, and he got assigned uh, a section of Scripture. Uh, some of that was just because it helps logistically, and, and, and others of that was that if you get, especially when you're just learning how to do it, if you get like the goalposts, it's a little easier, Right? Well, this wasn't the case with Jesus. He got handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he could have talked about anything he wanted inside that scroll. And this was the way of, of teaching in the synagogue at the time. And so Jesus goes specifically to this area, specifically to make this assertion, to make this claim. And we start out in, in Isaiah 59 that builds into this. And one of the things that we see as we go through Isaiah 59, uh, in verses 1 through 8, it moves from accusation to confession in verses 9 through 15, uh, and then to intervention uh, from the back half of chapter 15, or verse 15, uh, through verse 20. What we see happen here is that Yahweh himself inserts himself into what's going on, because things are really, really bad, and Isaiah's calling the people out. Uh, we see then in verse 20, there's this reference, a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. And so there's this 
allusion to someone coming, someone greater. Now, we know that uh, to be Jesus, but this is building into uh, his passage that that he quotes from. Earlier, and the reason that I gave you other references from 40 to 42 and, and, and so on, if we're reading through Isaiah, we, we've already established uh, that God the Father was going to put uh, the Holy Spirit uh, on this coming king. We'd see that uh, in a number of different places. Specifically, I'm, I'm thinking of Isaiah 42. Isaiah 49 talks about uh, how my words which have been placed in your mouth uh, again, summarizing the coming Messiah and what his role was to be. Um, so we get down to verse uh, 20. As I read, a Redeemer will come. This is pointing uh, to Jesus. And then we see in verse 21, as we begin creeping closer to this messianic section of verse uh, chapters 60 through 62, as for me... This is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. My spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your seed, nor from the mouth of your seed's seed, from now and forever. When we talked about Jesus as the Messiah, and remember we did a sermon about Jesus' lineage, Right, where he's coming from and where the Messiah was to come through and the various covenants that were established. All of this, all of that is working in conjunction with this. And so we get more of that through uh, chapter 60, and then we get into verses, uh, chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, which is what uh, Jesus is quoting. And the Spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release of the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of Yahweh and the day of vengeance. And he doesn't go to that part. He stays hopeful. Notice how he stops about halfway through verse 2. Jesus is saying, I have fulfilled this. I am fulfilling it would be a better way of thinking about it. Not that it has been fulfilled, but it's being fulfilled. Not the full consummation of everything that that says, but it's being initiated. That Christ coming on the scene and his public ministry starting here is the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And that's what Jesus is claiming uh, through Isaiah. That's what Jesus is quoting here uh, from Isaiah 61. Now, we shift, and the story starts to get a little more tense, right? This is quite a claim. Now, for all of these folks, they would have been or should have been expecting a Savior, expecting the Messiah, but now they have in their midst somebody that's claiming to be that person, right? So we move from claim to offense, from claim to offense, from marveling, the scripture says, to contempt. 
It's interesting how it shifts. And all were speaking well of him and marveling at the gracious words which were coming forth from his lips. Stop. But then there's this shift. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? What, what's, what's happening here? How are we marveling in, in, in one breath and then showing contempt in another? We can be guilty of this, can't we? We've all heard this phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Who are you to tell me? Right? Uh, J.C. Ryle, a deceased teacher and theologian, has this quote that I thought was awesome. How apt are men to despise the highest privileges when they are familiar with them? Familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus is telling them these things that you've been waiting for, these things that you've been studying, these things that you've been praying for and calling on God for. It's, it's, it's me. I'm here. It's beginning. And there's this initial amazement. There's this initial wonder and marvel. And then they start murmuring. Wait. How, how can Joseph's son, this lowly carpenter, be the Messiah? There, there, there's no way. Some of you have been around this church for a long, long time. And you might see Walter when he's up here, remembering him when he was in short pants. Right? Or shorter pants. That's probably a little odd, isn't it? Like, that kid that was probably running around here, dropping food and throwing things, and you were probably nasty, Walter, weren't you? <laughs> I've seen it. And now, a couple decades later, he's one of your pastors. He leads worship. He's teaching the word of God, right? But sometimes when we have an experience with someone or a mental picture of someone, we can't make that transition from this to this, right? We can't make that transition in age and time and experience. We can't make that shift in learning both him and the growth process and study, right? We just, we can't make that shift. Oh, he's just Walt's son. He's just Don's son. And, and, and we're taking him down a notch, right? It's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. He makes tables and chairs and different kinds of things. How on earth could this guy be the Messiah? We do this with people all the time. And he uses this phrase that 
that a prophet's not going to be accepted or received in his hometown. Why? Because we can't get this out of our head, right? And so every once in a while, you'll see, uh, I'm just going to take this into our context here. Every once in a while, you might see a, a pastor, a, a local kid come up through the ranks in this way. But most of the time, not. Because you remember that kid that was a pain in the butt. Or that youth that was. Or you remember the, the, the guy that walked in here at 23, hung over, smelling like whatever, and that's still who you see 10 years later when he wants to pursue something in ministry and he feels that call on God's life. Right? Now, I'm not, I, I do the same thing. I'm not free and clear of that. That's what's happening in this context that we're reading. And Jesus drives this point home, again, by referencing things that would have been very familiar to the people. He talks about Elijah, and it comes specifically from 1 Kings 17. And then he doubles down with Elisha, and that comes from 2 Kings 5. He's referencing this this thing that they would have been very, very familiar with. Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown, but I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but he was sent to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And he doubles down right? He's given an example from Elijah. And if you don't know this, Elijah's a big, big figure in the Old Testament. And there, was many lep there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. What's, what's Jesus doing there? What's, what, what's he uh, trying to get across? What is he emphasizing here? Thanks, Siri. Hey, that was fun. Uh, I, I canceled it, so I, I should have said, what did you find, Siri? See, the sticking point here for the people was that what Jesus was essentially saying is that just like Yahweh passed by his own people in this uh, example with Elijah, in this example with Elijah, he's passing over you. Jesus' own people. The people that he would have grown up around and been with for the last 30 years, minus some trips here or there. You're just like them. He's going to skip over you just like he skipped over them. If I preached week after week after week to you, months and years, and it fell on deaf ears, that we're bringing you the word of God, 
we're studying the word of God, we, we praise God and we serve and we do all of those things and yet it falls on deaf ears and that's shown in our action or lack of fruit. It's kind of what's happening here. What would happen in that scenario is that the gospel would be taken to someone who would listen, that we'd be passed over because we're not responding to the word of God, that we're not faithful, that we're not acting in righteousness, that we're not producing fruit. Think about your Old Testament history, right? Chance after chance after chance. Yahweh was faithful. Time and again, he would come back and give them chance after chance. And finally, I'm going to go to some people that will listen. I'm going to go to some people that will move on the word of God, that will take action. If I came up here and I said, you know what? You guys are dead. I don't see anything. I don't see fruit. I don't see love for the word of God. I'm going to pass over you and I'm going to go find some people in Marquette that want it, that apparently need it because you guys are set. What kind of a response would I get? Right? Not a good one. Why? Because we don't like to be called out. We don't like to be offended. The gospel is offensive. If I sit up here week after week and I tickle your ears, are you really growing? Are you convicted then to hold a mirror in front of yourself and say, how am I doing? That's what this is for. Yes, I want you to be filled with hope. And, and, and I know I'm a pretty pragmatic, black and white kind of guy. And most of the time, that's not going to come from me in some sort of exuberant, energy-filled kind of way. I, I lean on Joe and, and the team to kind of bring that element to our service. I'm just being honest. But that is a component of it. So I, I want you to feel praiseworthy. I want you to, 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 to feel hopeful because all of that is part of the gospel message. But so is the tough stuff. Listen, the sacrifice doesn't matter if there wasn't a reason for it, right? Months from now, we're going to be in Easter season would Sunday mean much if nothing happened on Friday? I mean, God could work that plan any way he wants, but with the story that we know, not really. That had to happen for this to happen. And that's a microcosm of, of what our daily faith walk should be like, carrying our cross. We're examining ourselves. We face the tough stuff, and we have hope in the future, hope in the promise, hope in that sacrifice. Well, the people respond exactly the way that you guys would if I said these kinds of things. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they stood up, drove him out of the city, drove me out of the church, led me to the edge, maybe we out there by the church sign, and 
Oops. Filled with rage, it says. In order to throw him off down the cliff, he'd been let out. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. So we see this. The people are marveling at the words. Then they're contemptuous at the words. Then they're rage-filled. And in this case, I mean, what really amounts to attempted murder. Is this not the cycle that we go through when we're in these predicaments? Like, we might be amazed if Joe tells me about this thing. And then it's like, well, that's just Joe. What does he know? And then I start to question that. And then the more and more I ponder it, I get mad, right? Get out of here, Joe. Like, that's what's happening here. This circular kind of thing. And yet, God's providence, right? We've talked about this before. What, a, what an awesome word. God's hand at work in all circumstances. But in our circumstance here, we see God's providence, right? Now wasn't the appointed time. So he slipped through the crowd. I'd love to have a video of that, right? Little did the people know, two years later, what was God's providence in this passage. God's providence was that he wouldn't escape. That he wouldn't be able to slip through the crowd. How the story changes. And yet both are God's providence. Providence further on in our study would lead to Jesus being tried, right? Beaten, scourged, mocked, ridiculed, spit on, nails driven as he was hung on a cross, side pierced, ultimately to death. That's the same providence, God's hand at work, that's at work here that Jesus would slip through because there was still work to be done. And yet that providential story doesn't end on Friday, right? It doesn't even end on Sunday, Easter Sunday, because you and I are living in it and reaping the benefits of it today. We know that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and, and we sing a song occasionally called the death of death, right? That's what happens in his burial and, and resurrection. He's bringing death to death. That, that, that Satan that we talked about for the last two weeks and all of that turmoil and suffering and trial that, that, that grasp us and keep pulling us down is no longer there. Not, not in an ultimate way, not in an eternal way. That through his, his ministry, that through his death, that through Jesus' resurrection, he's put a death to death. 
that in him, through him, when we call on his name as Lord and Savior of our lives, that we've got eternal life. That we've buried, remember we talked about baptism a few weeks back, the symbolizing of going underwater, death to self, right? And coming up out of the water, a new creation, Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Born in him, born through the Spirit. And that's the life that we're leading. And so this is the passage for today. It's just a great, great introduction to who Jesus is and what his ultimate goal, what his ultimate plan and purpose is. Again, our series is to seek and to save the lost. And that's exactly the first glimpse that we see uh, in in Jesus' public ministry, again, at least through the gospel of Luke, to seek and to save the lost. And at one point in time, maybe today that describes you, We were lost, and now we've been found through the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have uh, each and every week to gather together in your name, celebrate you, celebrate your word, praise you through singing and and service to one another, uh, remembering the, your, your hand at work in each and every one of our lives. Your hand at work uh, in the past, in the present, and in the, the future, Lord. And we pray that, uh, or we know that you continue to do that, Lord. We call on you uh, to bring as many as would have uh, to know you and call on you as Lord and Savior of their lives, Lord. We Thank you for every opportunity that we have to be one link in that chain of your providence and how you work that out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv slash give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.